This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 259 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Our first episode of 2024, Bridget and Scott. And it comes at a good time. The Bruins are on a three-game winning streak after what was an ugly week-plus of hockey leading up to Christmas. Um, you know, the, dating back to, uh, what was it, the Sabres game? Uh, 4-1 win over the Sabres. We discussed that one. 5-2 over the Devils. 5-3 over the Red Wings. So the offense is getting going, and it seems like they're getting contributions from up and down the lineup right now, and they're playing they're playing with um, some good energy and some, some grit right now post-Christmas. Yeah, they are. And to me, my opening shift is that one of the key developments has been the Martian coil DeBrusque line getting hot. Um, all three of those players were scuffling a bit heading into the Christmas break. Coil and DeBrusque had each gone six games without a point. Martian had, I think it was one goal in seven games and no five-on-five points during that time. Um, You know, it seems like they kind of killed three birds with one stone, putting them all together. Um, I think individually they're all playing better, and there's chemistry that hasn't hasn't always been there, you know, with Martian and Coyle in particular. And we've talked about that. I've talked about that before, how there are times earlier this season that it just didn't seem to be clicking with the two of them, and, you thought it should, and maybe it could at some point, but it really wasn't. And now it finally seems like they're getting comfortable playing together and figuring out how to work off each other. They've both talked about that, you know, saying like, yeah, sometimes it takes, you know, sometimes chemistry comes right away and it's match made in heaven. And sometimes you have to work at it and they've had to work at it and they have, and it seems to be there right now. And, um, you know, and Debrusque has, has fit there. Uh, alongside them really well too. So um, that, you know, they, they scored a a key goal in the New Jersey game. Um, It's the goal that really launched the comeback after they're down to nothing. Marshan sets up DeBrusque and then another key goal against Detroit after Detroit comes back to tie it to two. It's that line that ends up scoring early in the third period to give the Bruins the lead back and, kind of right the ship. Yeah. And my opening shift has to do with a a different line that's come together since, you know, things have been shuffled. So my opening shift is about Trent Frederick, who maybe had the nicest goal of his career uh, in the Detroit game. He, his first of two goals um, that he kind of just poked in, lifted top shelf um, on the backhand. And we were, we were talking about this a little bit ago, like, what's Trent Frederick's best goal of his career. And I feel like I watched that. And I was like, there he is. That's that one's a good one. He wanted the hat trick. He was going, I don't know if you guys uh, saw it the way I did, but I thought he was chasing down Zaka's shot into the empty net to try to tap it in at the end, but he didn't catch up to it. Um, it's, I, I looked like he was trying to, you know, get one little touch hat trick uh, would have been good for him, but he's been playing well. Um, helping out a little bit at center, but mostly playing wing on that third line with now with Merkel off there. 
Yeah, Frederick's just seeming a lot more comfortable with the puck on his stick, and he's making things happen, looking to make plays as opposed to just, you know, being a player out there, which is, you know, you're watching the real-time development of a player, obviously 17 goals last year and just building off it this year, which is great. Um, he just looks so confident. Like, he yeah. just looks so confident in that yeah. Detroit game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's what experience at the professional level does, and you realize you can score goals at the NHL level, and it's amazing what, what happens. And his skating, yeah, like I said, the puck on his stick, he's just making things happen. He's um, using his size, and he has those long strides, powerful strides. So, um, yeah, Frederick, I mean, look, I think a couple of years ago, not to dive too much into your opening uh, take, Bridget, before we keep going, but, like, I just remember a couple of years ago, like, we were kind of losing hope on on the player who was, like, 24 at the time. He wasn't, like, too, too young. Um, and now it's, like, couple calendars calendar years later and he seems to be somebody who could put in 20 goals a year for this team um at least so that's 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 a great development uh i'm gonna i'm gonna piggyback off of scott's opening shift and focus on on debrusque and obviously he's been a focal point of mine this year and we talked about him last episode uh, as as a player who was on the up and um a lot of people would have said he's been up all year except for the points but you know, unfortunately, it's a results-driven business, and and when you're paid to produce, you have to do so. And now that he's doing that, now he deserves. Um, you know, maybe maybe he's getting rewarded, but he he deserves the uh, the attention, the positive attention now as well. And Scott mentioned the um, the New Jersey game. It's like Jake DeBrus scoring that goal. Granted, it's off of a hard forecheck from Brad Marchand, um, who kind of starts the whole play, uh, and DeBrusque obviously finishes it, but. That's a play where if he doesn't finish that, it's potential that it's possible that the Bruins lose that game because you're down two nothing. And instead, he he goes to the net hard, wink wink. That's how he scores goals and he finishes and gets the Bruins on the board and they end up winning the game, kind of running away with it. And that's the impact that you can have when you're somebody who can do that and you do do that. Obviously, not every game, but with five points in his last three games, he's up to sixteen points in the season and. It start that number is starting to look better and better for him. And if the Bruins, the biggest reason I was upset with DeBrusque's lack of production, despite analytics saying that he was playing well, regardless, like if this team wants to be where they want to be um, in the postseason, as long as he's on this roster, he has to produce like a top six forward. And he wasn't, and he's starting to now, and that's really important for this team going forward. Yeah, and we we talked to him after. The- the New Jersey game uh, in the locker room. And he said, you know, really the whole team used the Christmas break as a chance to reset, obviously coming off the four game losing streak, but he also used it individually. He said he kind of relaxed, watched Christmas movies and like had a good time. Um, and Harry way, Potter. And, and yeah, Harry he said his, his go-to, go-to Christmas. Yeah. His go-to Christmas movies were Elf, the Grinch and Harry Potter, which, I, I'm with them. Like Harry Potter isn't obviously technically Christmas movies, but it counts. And there's always a marathon every holiday, anyways. So, um, but yeah, Either, but those it, are those are solid choices too. Those are solid. I thought I thought he I thought he watched Harry Potter in the off season. That's why he had the invisibility cloak on the whole time until oh. recently. <laughs> I'm Brian, joking. Brian, I'm just, Brian. I'm just he kidding. had to. He had to. I had to say. I, I'm just kidding. Um. But yeah, obviously he did need, he had to find some way to get going. And so if Christmas break reset is, is what it took, then, then that's great. And, you know, new line mates that I think he feels good about playing with. Um, you, you just see, he just 
you know, obviously I've been on the side of like, he's still doing more good than bad. And um, to an extent, I always thought the scoring would come, but I, I have said like, he has to make it come. And part, part of that, like you said, Brian, it's him going to the net. It's that drive, like to see, yeah, that lane was there, but to see him see it, take it. And what I really loved about that goal he scored in the New Jersey game was he's tapping his stick for the pass from, like banging his stick for Martian to get him that puck. And it was like, you could tell like his eyes just lit up when he saw the path he had to the net. And that's exactly what you want. Like you want him being aggressive. You want him wanting the puck in that situation, wanting to make that drive to the net. And it was clear that he did. And if he's, if he's going to play like that, then he's a huge asset to this team. And you just hope obviously that it, that it continues. Uh-oh. Bridget, you're sorry. Um, the chemistry I was saying that no none of you could hear. <laughs> um, I was saying the chemistry also applies to uh coil with that line as well. Like I, I noticed on that that coil goal um in the Detroit game, him and Marshawn seemed to be on the same page a few times. Coil almost scored earlier in the game as well. And we've seen them each set each other up for some really good chances and, and coils was in the slot, but uh, that one was set up by McAvoy, but um, yeah, you just notice like them finding seams and knowing where each other is on the ice a little bit more now after a few games together. And I I've thought that the chemistry has grown and, and looked better. Yeah, no coil has been really good. I mean, I, I forgive me for not having it in front of me, but just, obviously his, his totals on the year, but um, yeah, just, I mean, his, his finishing is, is very, very important for them. Obviously he hasn't been a, I wouldn't call him a proven finisher in this league up until, you know, this year, like he obviously has finished to his game, but it wasn't consistent and they needed him to be that for them this year. And uh, yeah, you've seen him just get body positioned in tight and have some nice finishes up top this year. And um, yeah, just, Again, like they needed him to step up this year, and and Coyle's been great. Like, say what you want about the Bruins at given times this year, he's 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 been rock solid. Uh, he had a slow, he did have a, about a week or so of of. I think Scott, you mentioned last episode, he had five games at a point, but but yeah, he's just he's just been really solid for them. Yeah, he's up to thirteen goals, thirteen assists, twenty six points in thirty five games. Uh, third on the team in points, tied for second in goals, and on pace to smash his career high in goals. His career high in goals is 21 with the Bruins. He's never scored more than 16. Like he could pass that in two weeks. Um, you know, not even halfway through the year. So he's on pace, you know, for what high twenties, maybe even push 30 goals. Like that's, that's a, if you told anyone going to the season that Charlie Coyle's going to be on pace to push 30 goals, like, that is a huge win. I don't think anyone would have expected that kind of jump. And, um, you know, Montgomery talked this week about um, Coyle adopting more of a shoot first mentality and getting to scoring areas more. And he pointed to those, those two goals. And I know they're on the power play, you know, so that's a little different. Like he does play that role on the power play, but still it's just that mindset of like being there and being ready to shoot. And Montgomery said like, you know, how many times was he there last year? Like he, he's going there more and that's why he's scoring more. And again, you can take that and apply that to DeBrusque too. It's like if DeBrusque goes to those areas more, 
he's going to score more. So very encouraging that you're seeing, you know, both of them doing it. You're seeing Marshan producing with them. Um, and that, you know, if those guys continue to click, it just really goes a long way towards solidifying your top six because it's like that's at least one of your top two lines and you can lock that in and they can play in any situation. They've been, they've been great defensively all year. That hasn't been an issue. It's, you know, are they going to score enough? Um, They are right now. And then you can kind of figure out the first line from there, whether it's, you know, whether it does ultimately stick with Zach on the wing and it's either geeky or, you know, some rotation of centers before you settle on something or make a trade or whatever, or, if Zaka goes back to center and you figure out the wing there, like at least you have this Marshan coil to brusque line in, in your pocket and something that you feel good about. Yeah. When you said solidify the top six, I'm thinking to myself and, and, and when you were saying, you know, who would have guessed that coil would have the numbers that he has at this point in the season, I was thinking who would have thought Morgan geeky would be centering the top line at this point in the season. And he, yeah, that's what he's doing right now. So, um, you know, whether he stays there or not remains to be seen, but he's done a good job. And, and like we mentioned, Zaka going to the wing may not be their long-term plan, but it, I mean, it works. Um, especially if the plan is when Patra comes back, just to slide him in between JVR and Frederick, um, and, and, you know, send Merkelov back to Providence. So that kind of feels like what the setup might be. Um, when, when world juniors is over, but, uh, a few things I want to talk about that line to get back to my first shift is if you guys are ready to, to switch subjects. Um, so I want to bring up some of Frederick's numbers actually. So he has four points in the last four games. And I was just going through like some of his career, like season stats. And he's also been getting more ice time on average than any of the previous seasons. Uh, so he's averaging like about 13, 15 of ice time per game. Um, and he, he was a plus four in the Detroit game. Um, he, he was really uh, buzzing and he had those two goals. And um, yeah, he's, he's looked really good recently. And it, it seems like we're, we're seeing it coincide with a noticeable jump in confidence as well, because I was thinking to myself several times during the last two games that, he's kind of driving the speed of that line. And now he's, I mean, obviously JVR is the veteran on that line, but you can, can see Frederick taking ownership of like the pace and the confidence that he brings to that line. So you see this like maturity in his attitude and and you also see the numbers going with it. Yeah. And like, obviously geeky got his, uh, his face caved in there a little bit by Ben Sherratt and, you know, Frederick scores the goal. Um, and then immediately with Sherratt standing there before he doesn't even celebrate scoring the goal, which is the first goal of the game, just immediately challenges Ben Sherratt. And after the game, he was asked about it. And I guess earlier in the game, they were, they were talking and Sherratt said something like, you know, you're not good enough for my attention or something like that. And so when Frederick scored, he's like, am I good enough now? And then proceeded to score another goal. I think using Sherratt as a screen potentially, um, so yeah, I just uh, when Frederick's when Frederick is emotionally and this goes for a lot of players, but when Frederick is emotionally engaged, he's a every game he's really effective. In fact, there's a there's a there's a stat out there, and I don't have it in front of me, but I remember seeing it recently. The Bruins have a ridiculously strong record, like almost impeccable in games that Trent Frederick scores a goal. So 
I think that shows he's, he's an emotional leader for the team when he's out there and he's, and he's on his A game. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I loved challenging Sherrod there. That Like, at, at first I was like, I assume Sherrod yelled something because he collided into Alex Lyon, which was clearly, like, completely accidental. It's, you know, Lyon's well out of his crease and Frederick's finishing his chance. Um, Lyon ended up being okay, fortunately. But yeah, I assumed like Sherat yelled something then and Frederick just responded. But it's like it's even better with the added context of like that had already been bubbling up earlier in the game. Um and also the fact that he said you're not good enough for my time, and then he scores <laughs> twice and like just makes you look stupid. It's like oh, Frederick yeah. won that one. Like you can trash talk, but sometimes it backfires on you. Yeah, it's funny. I was I was probably like, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago and in the locker room after practice one day and Frederick was someone asked him about like trash talk. And he was like, yeah, there's not really that much of it that goes on out there. And, you know, we, we were like referencing back to, I think it was like his rookie year or second year when he got into with PK Subban and like that went viral with the mic'd up moments and stuff. And, you know, for Frederick, but Frederick clearly is like someone who will engage with that and like kind of thrives off it when, when the situation arises um but yeah he's he's been playing great Bridget to take you know those recent stats like to go even a little further he only had Frederick only had three points in the first 12 games this season now he has 15 in the last 23 like that's that's a legit middle six like pushing second line type production um he's he's now nine goals on the year with the the two on Sunday which puts him on pace to surpass his career high from last year when he had 17. I know, you know, one of the questions we kind of wondered about was like, what is Trent Frederick's production going to look like if he's not on a third line that has Charlie Coyle and Taylor Hall, which, you know, was as strong of a third line as you can get really in the NHL. Um, He's continued to produce after a little bit of a slow start. He's, he's right back there and he's doing, you know, on these last couple of games doing online with, you know, a rookie center playing his first two games, Ben Reemsdyke on his, on the left wing on in one of the games, Danton Heinen, the second, like that's, that's not a Charlie Coyle, Taylor Hall line. That's a line that he has to help drive. And he is. And not for nothing. He's also like the only tough guy on the team right now. <laughs> well, I guess you could throw mm-hmm. Lauco in there, but, yeah. but not for nothing. Like the team we, we've, we mentioned there was about a, like a full week where we were talking about how the Bruins, needed to, you know, potentially even add physicality by making a move at the deadline. And Frederick is, once Lucci obviously um, got arrested and hasn't been back with the team, Frederick kind of has been in Lauco at times as well, like has fought. But those two are the only guys that really stand up um, for the team. So to see him putting up the numbers and being, um, you know, willing to also fight for his teammates and himself uh, and be physical. It's, it, it's a big season. I so far this year has been great for Trent Frederick. Yeah. It's, you know, as, as time goes on, it's um, it, it is, it's unfortunate from a hockey perspective that, that um, you know, Lucic uh, got into trouble off the ice and obviously, you know, it makes sense why he's not around the team anymore. Um, but because like the his Bruins stuff is still at his locker and it's been say there that the again. His stuff is still at his locker and it's been there the whole time. Hmm. Um, you know, when when people say a team lacks toughness, I think it's easy to think 
right away to like body checking and, and fights and whatnot. Uh, there's definitely a lot more to being a tough team to play against than just that. There's uh, there's just back checking, for checking, uh, going hard to the net. Like there's a million ways to be a tough team outside of fighting, but it definitely feels like if Lucic was there, you know, the, the Bruins aren't overly uh, tough team as it, as it pertains to fighting and extracurricular. Um, but if Lucic wasn't the team and you can throw Lucic out there and Frederick out there um, as primary, uh, primary guys to, to fight if need be, and then you can have support, supporting characters after them, they actually would be a pretty tough team. Um, obviously, Lucic isn't there, so Frederick has to um, – wear that more for the team and and yeah he he's 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 just been a good player for him and he's when you watch the bruins in person i know you, you two are fortunate enough to watch them just about every game at home but for listeners if you're if you're lucky enough to get to a game at any point like frederick in person you don't realize how much space he covers um i don't know if tv does it justice like his his strides are very long and he's a he's a big body that when he's on his game he covers ice pretty quick and he caves in and guys and, and plays the body and it's um you gain an appreciation for for his his play out there when you see him live and in person more so than other players. Yeah, and he has he has definitely improved over the years as a defensive player to the point where he's he's one of their most reliable forwards defensively, um, and that kind of ties into like the space covered because that's what a lot when you know a couple games recently where he shifts to center it's kind of seamless because he already does a lot of that work as a wing. Like even you watch these last two games where he's on a line where Merkulov's the center, but it's Frederick who came back deep in the defensive zone and basically played the center position defensively quite a bit. Like you would see Merkulov like higher on the zone covering a point. And that's, that's just Frederick's experience. And you know, if he's the first guy back, he's going to take that role and not, you know, some every forward has to, if they're the first guy back, they have to take that role to start in the defensive zone. But then usually you're looking for the switch once the actual center gets back. And I think with Frederick, you see him just take on that role until the puck's out of the zone. And, like, he's not looking for Merkulov to switch with him and uh, and he goes out to the point. Like, he'll just do that work because it's, it is, like, second nature to him now. He's gotten so so good and so reliable at it. Yeah. And it, it, it does like you, you can see how he, like I said, he kind of took ownership of the line and that's kind of just an example of him kind of making the decisions and, and um, you know, defensively, offensively, he also transitioned the puck himself for that second goal. Like he, he has been decent at just carrying through the neutral zone as well. So we've kind of touched on all like pretty much every aspect of his game that has been going well for him recently. Um, and in particular, in the last two games uh, against New Jersey and Detroit. I do want to talk about Merkulov, though, um, because he got his call up. He got two games with the Bruins um, back to back nights. And, you know, the, the time on ice in the first game, he got 15 minutes, but he only got eight and a half minutes in the second game on New Year's Eve uh, against Detroit. And and I know he was not getting a lot of time on ice in the third period of of that uh, game against New Jersey at home, but um, what have you thought of him and the usage uh, 
he hasn't got he didn't get a chance to to show himself all that much um getting you know kind of kind of fewer opportunities maybe than he would have hoped i i liked his game so far i i think that there's an adjustment obviously and i think he's trying to learn on the fly he's you know everything he does at the ahl level he has to do that much quicker at the nhl level um that said watching him against new jersey in person and then obviously on tv against the red wings he definitely doesn't seem to lack confidence um and and he, he and you can see you can see his hockey iq is 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 there um so obviously he didn't score he, he hit the post against detroit and um you know I, i'd like to see him get a continued look here and i think that with confidence like he'll 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 get some points for this team um if he gets a longer look um so scott feel free to jump in there and you know i think as far as like the usage goes in the third period i don't i don't love it i think if you're at the nhl level like yeah i don't it, i don't, I don't want to drag on too long about that i don't love it i i, I think it's it can be a little bit um much at times to just like t take players out of the rotation completely for a period i don't i don't love it but um, I, I've liked him so far. Yeah, he, he had another good chance against Detroit too, which actually ended up being his first NHL shot in goal because he didn't have any in the New Jersey game. But um, Lyon made a good block of save on him. And it was – I think it was Frederick who set him up. And he had like a ton of time. And you could tell like his, his past first instincts kicked in. He sort of like looked around and then realized like I'm all alone in front. I have to shoot. And – um, it was a good hard shot, just a good save. So I think that'll start to come more naturally, more of a shooter mentality. Um, you see that with, you know, he is, he's always had a really good shot. I remember talking to um, Coach Rollick at, at Ohio State about him when the Bruins signed him. And he's like, yeah, he has a really good shot. I think he scored on like 25% of his shots in college, which is obviously not sustainable, but he was like, I wish he used it more. He's always looking to pass. And, that's been something that's, you know, continued to develop and has certainly has in Providence where he's become a go-to goal scorer. So uh, if that, if he can kind of get in that mindset, at the NHL level too, that's going to be huge for him. Um, as for not one other thing I noticed is like, he seems to always be in the right spot. Like I thought his puck support was really good. He seemed to be where his teammates needed it and, ex and expected him to be. Um, as far as not playing the third period, I, it's similar to what we've talked about with Matt Potter, right? Like it's the same sort of conversation. And I, I'm on the side of like, I don't really have an issue with it. I just think coaches at all levels, you know, oftentimes shorten the bench and one goal games leading or trailing. And if you're, if you're leading, you go with your nine best defensive forwards that you trust the most. And if you're trailing, you go with your nine best offensive forwards that you, you, trust to, to go and create offense um again like if if we're talking about this down the stretch in march and april and whether it's patra merkelov beach or whoever which by the way like beecher wasn't out there in the third period sunday either um i, I would be a little more concerned about it because they'd be like geez they, they've had all season to kind of grow that trust and and learn what they have to learn in these situations and either they haven't or montgomery still doesn't trust them like i would have an issue with it then right now i you know 
his first two NHL games. I, I just don't like, I think he's still learning a ton. It's still extremely valuable for him to be up here. And, um, you know, you gotta, the Bruins aren't, aren't secure in the standings. Like they're still trying to win every game and get every point that they can. So, um, if, if shortening the bench is part of that, then I don't, I just don't have a big issue with it. I want to bring up two other stats too, that he had in that Detroit game. He had, so he had 11 shifts total and his face-off percentage was 16%. (laughs) Um, So that part. Face-offs have been a struggle in both games for him, for sure. Yeah. That that's definitely something that, that you noticed out there. And obviously there's a learning curve going from playing guys in the AHL uh, to some of the craftier centers in the NHL. Uh, it's a difference in timing. So that's to be expected. And Matt Potras had trouble with it too, adjusting as well. Um, his face-off percentage at times has, has been similar, but yeah, 16% was, was not very good. I know they took, they put Frederick in to take draws at, at certain points as well. Um, and yeah, so th- just to bring those two things up and I don't know if you, what you guys think about, um, you know, how much longer of a look, is he going to get? I, I mean, I would say at least until Potra's back, um, which, you know, could be. By the, t- by the time Potra flies back and then the Bruins are going to the West Coast, like, to me, that's probably at least – you're looking at at least another week. Um, so, you know, whatever that comes out to, three, three, four more games, and you got to see where he is from there. If he's playing really well and he's earned a spot in the lineup, then you keep going with him. and. If it's if it's gonna be like this, where it's okay, he only played eight, nine, ten minutes, and there's stuff they still want him to work on, and they're seeing some flaws or whatever, then then you send him back and you and you say, here's the bullet list of things we want you to work on, and I think that's fine. But I'm, you know, I'm definitely excited to see what he does over the next few games, though. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, speaking of Matt Potra, by the way, the. Uh... A sigh of relief. I mean, he he literally gets now onus on the player for turning that quick, but that was a very dangerous uh, result um, against Germany where he got hit from behind to the boards, like, you know, neck first. And it's like, um, you know, that that's obviously that that goes far beyond um, anything Bruins later. We're talking about somebody's health in life at that point. But again, like just back to like what I was talking about a few weeks ago about just like, like, if he's like, like, yes, there's, there's risk in Bruins practice and Bruins games, but like I it's to go play for Canada and, you know, have unnecessary risk to get hurt. Like, I mean, that, that could have ended really badly for, for Matt Potra personally. And obviously that would, that would affect the Bruins lineup. So uh bullet dodge there. Um, how have, how has he been playing for, for Canada down at world juniors and, and where does the tournament stand right now? Well, so Canada lost two nothing to Sweden and Padre had a tough play on, on the first goal where Puck comes up the board, sees the forward there trying to get it out and kind of just softly chips it right into the defenseman pitching down the boards. And Sweden scores like a second later. I know I, I think it was a shot that Cannon's goalie should have saved. Um, and if you get that save, then no one's talking about Padre's play. But uh, the whole Canadian team got shut down in that game. Sweden's Sweden's really good, although then they Sweden did get lit up by Finland, surprisingly. Um, and then the Germany game, another game where just Canada overall was underwhelming, but they ended up getting the win and Patra got an assist on, on what ended up being the winning goal. Um, 
it was on the power play and he had a chance on the bumper. Just a golden opportunity. He got robbed, but the rebound went right to uh I'm forgetting which teammate it was, but buried the rebound. So you know, overall he's not dominating, which I think obviously everyone's hope would have been like he goes over and dominates and he's, you know, one of the very best players in the tournament. Um, I think it's been a little up and down, but you know, you, you make your name in the, in the knockout round. And now they're at the knockout round that starts Tuesday. Uh, Canada's playing Czechia in the quarterfinals. So, um, you know, he's still, he's still playing that second line role. So they're still relying on him. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you, you would have wished for a little more, but I, I don't think he's been bad by any means. I just think it's been some ups and then some, some quiet games. Yeah. And, and he said before he left for the tournament that he pretty much had never played for or met most of the guys on the team. So like, it's obviously chemistry doesn't happen overnight. And for a center that can be pretty important, especially him as a playmaking center. We always talk about him, um, you know, how good a passer he is. So, and also on that goal that, uh, you're talking about where Patrick tries to chip it up the boards and doesn't get it out. I felt like the broadcast and and everyone really put a lot of blame on him for that when it was clearly not only his fault. Um, and I was just thinking like, well, the pa- I mean, the pass could have just been a clear <laughs> out of the zone. Um, you know, the goalie could have made the stop. I, they kept putting the camera on Patrick. Like it was hundred percent right. his fault. And I was like, I was like, ah, I feel like we're putting a lot of blame on him here when this could have been, this, there was like three guys that could have definitely made a play. He's, and He's, he's learning what it means to play for team Canada. When mm. you do anything, anything wrong, the entire country turns on you. Oh my God. They were it's, brutal it's something... to Norway. Those Canadian broadcasters were freaking brutal. They're like, Norway doesn't belong in this tournament. I'm like, okay. They're, they're really just, just crapping on them hard. <laughs> Yeah, no, Bridget, you're right, though. The broadcast, it was like some SNL skit. Like, literally, every, like, two seconds, it would just go back to Patra. It's like, he hasn't – he's, like, just skating to the bench still. Like, nothing's changed. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Scott, you, you mentioned it's all about the medal rounds, and that's fair. But, um, I mean, I think it's a little bit more than just the medal rounds. I think I think you have to look at the entire tournament, how one plays. But uh, I think, you know, short of him maybe scoring a golden goal or having a couple of key moments, um, if it's more or less this for him the rest of the way out, even if Canada wins gold and he's more just kind of along for the ride and not really showcasing or stepping up or if he's not one of the best players on team Canada in general, then I think the Bruins have to kind of look at it and say, eh, probably, probably didn't get uh, enough juice out of the squeeze here. Um, because if you, if you're sending him there to world juniors and he's just kind of along for the ride and doesn't really dominate, then I don't really know what the point of it. Not that they could have predicted that. I'm just saying, you know, they'll probably they'll be a little disappointed probably. I think it's valuable regardless though. Cause like, even, even if he isn't, even if he doesn't dominate at any point and it's, it just continues to be like a little bit inconsistent. I think that's a valuable experience for him to be like, Hey, here's how tough it gets in, in big time games on, on a world stage. Like it's going to be even tougher than this in the Stanley cup playoffs. So like here you've seen now, you know, how you have to raise your compete level. And, and raise your game and hopefully you know if it ends in disappointment he would come back and be like wow okay now i know like i have to get to another level like i went over there thinking you know probably feeling pretty good about myself i'm the one with the most nhl experience and and it didn't go the way i wanted so like 
that's something to learn on, learn him, you know, about himself from. And, you know, not the worst thing in the world to have, again, if it ends in disappointment. He could still win gold and be a hero. But if it ends in disappointment, like, I'd rather that first disappointment for him on a big stage come in World Juniors than the Stanley Cup playoffs. So I, I still think there's value there in just having this learning experience in general. So, uh, you know, and I'd also, again, I, like I would also point out so much of Team Canada is first round picks. Like in terms of pure talent, prior to a month, month or two ago, you would have said like most of that lineup has more pure talent than Matt Potter does. I it's, don't it's, think... a credit to, it's a credit to him that he's put himself on that radar and put himself in the NHL, but it's not, again, like this is still his age class. It's not like he's, you know, two years, two, three years older than everyone and has mm-hmm. been playing at a higher level for years. Like, mm-hmm. now he was like, like, he was just on these guys level last season. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And he jumped. I mean, he obviously jumped past what the Bruins were expecting and, and, you know, on the world stage too, he gets, um, you know, he gets on that highest level with those other uh, first round guys like you're talking about. Also, uh, if you're watching, I keep the sun is once again coming into my face. Like <laughs> if we record at this time, I just end up with like the sun in my eyes. So it's coming. It's like slowly coming. But um, do you guys want to talk about the defense at all? Because Mason Lori, who's another, um, you know, pleasant surprise for the Bruins in, in how many games he's played, how he's done on the ice. Um, the Lori McAvoy pair, which at times when, when Scott and I were up on the ninth floor for that home game against the devils, I leaned over to Scott and I said, I think Lori is the better defenseman on that pair today. Um, and I think, I thought he's looked well. I couldn't agree more. Every game that he plays, he just seems to be more and more comfortable. And it's not even so much like the transition game or whatnot. Cause you know, it's not like every game he plays, it's it's not like the latest game that he plays is the best game he's had in transition or whatever, but like just from a comfortability standpoint, um, you know, uh, taking hits, receiving hits, um, being physically engaged uh, in the dirty areas. I think that's, that's improved since uh, he first came up against Toronto, um, whatever it was 20 games ago. So, I mean, obviously injuries are always a thing. And I think that, because of injuries, he'll always have an opportunity to be with the Bruins pretty much all year if they really want him to be. But regardless of injuries, I think he should be on, on the Bruins at this point anyway. We kind of touched on that last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think he's been really good, and, and it's uh, he's continuing to learn each game, and that's all you can really ask for. He's played 18 games at this point. I don't know if you guys thought like he would continue to – You know, first of all, he got – he got sent down, but he really wasn't back in Providence very long. It was maybe like two weeks or so. Um, and yeah, then he came right back. I think it was I think it wasn't even like two full weeks. It was like a week and a half. Yeah. 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 So I mean he he does continue to look more and more comfortable and and um playing with McAvoy obviously is uh it's a good spot for him. And at times he's looked I mean, we talked about how McAvoy's been down a little bit, um, but Lorai looked really good on that pair and I, I really kind of thought he looked better than McAvoy in that New Jersey game. Um, but it, and the, the Bruins really, uh, dodged a bullet that McAvoy's injury in that game was just a stinger where he crashed into Linus Allmark. It looked bad at first. Um, but he comes back and he plays against Detroit and he's fine. So it's just like a, you know, a stinger that lasts however long and then it 
goes away. And um, yeah, that could have been really bad, <laughs> but they got Grizzly back um, against New Jersey too. Yeah. And with Grizzly coming back, like I, I think Laura is not just making a push to stay in the lineup, but to stay in a top four role and that, you know, Grizzly came back. He played in the third pairing Saturday, um, got a game off Sunday because Montgomery said he was feeling, feeling a little sore after that first game back. I don't know if they were planning on playing him the second night of a back-to-back anyways. He might have sat even if he wasn't feeling sore. Um, but, yeah, like that, if Lorai can stick in the top four, you know, I don't want to force it if he's not ready, but he's playing right now like like he's ready. Like he might be able to handle that role. Um, and if he does, that that looks so much better because – like his upside, as we've talked about, is is higher than Grizzly. So like, no matter what you think of Grizzly, Laura, in part because of his size, his skating, his offensive ability, like it's higher than what Matt Grizzly can can give you in a top four role. So if if he is making that jump and he's gonna stick, like that it, it makes your decor so much stronger because now you can either go Grizzly, Shattenkirk on the third pair, or if there's games you want a little more size and half back there, you put Wotherspoon in, who I think has been playing pretty well too. So it, it just makes you deeper. It gives you more options. And however, you know, right now it's Lori McAvoy and they, they've kept Lindholm Carlo together. I could also see at some point, maybe you give Lindholm McAvoy some time, Lori Carlo we've seen in the past. But regardless, like your decor just on paper and on the ice looks better if, Mason Laura keeps playing like this. Yeah. And we're, and we're talking as if like Derek Forbert's not available because he still doesn't look like he's very close to returning. So that injury has, has been long-term and it looks like it's going to continue. So um, what did you guys think of the Grizzly Shattenkirk pair? Terrier magic. Yeah. Terrier magic. Yep. I mean, Shattenkirk, <laughs> you know, just uh, got his hundredth goal, I think in the NHL and then got his 101st um a period later but yeah i mean it's kind of what it's kind of it's it's kind of an ideal third pair like a guy who can move the puck well actually they both can but i don't even i was gonna say one guy's got a, a veteran presence but grizzly has been around too um i like him i don't want to i know we have to kind of get going soon but yeah I, i've liked what i've seen definitely i think i think they're both where they should be i think they're slotted where they should be on this team mm-hmm. yeah i i agree that I don't really have much to add there. It's like I said, like just the, the, and both of those guys can defend too. Like, I know you look at Grizzly Shattenkirk and you think like puck moving defenseman, but you know, Grizzly in general has been solid defensively. And if he's getting third pairing matchups instead of first pairing matchups, like I absolutely think he can handle that. One, one final question for the two of you uh, approaching the midway point here. You know, you look at a team like the devils and they're, you're, you're wondering why they're not where they, they should be roster-wise, and then you look at goaltending, right? Um, Vitek Vanacek has uh, a 3.35 goals against average and an 883 save percentage, um, so clearly not great. You look at the Bruins, Linus Allmark is far ahead of that, right? Um, Allmark is 282 goals against average, 916 save percentage, but... When you compare him to Jeremy Swayman, 2.2 goals against average and a 9.28 save percentage, um, the records are pretty similar, although Swayman had no run support um, in some of his recent losses. 
What's your guys' assessment of the goalies at this point? Um, it seems like Swayman has pulled ahead. Does that change your um, perception of maybe future usage with the two of them, or is it just too early to tell that it's, it's still half a season plus to go here? I I still – I mean, I think Linus Olmark still is – I wouldn't say he's like Swayman's – won the job or anything like that. Linus Allmark has come up with some incredible saves. And sometimes they're just like, they're stops that most goalies can't make. And if not for that, you know, the Bruins, because they always feel like they come at really important times too. Um, I don't know. I feel like Allmark is still playing so well that the rotation just stays in my mind. They're not, you know, they're still one, a one B they're still most likely just going one and then the other and, and rotating pretty evenly. I, I've liked how both of them played. Um, it's not surprising, but Hallmark comes up with these crazy saves too, that, that just are so impressive that you can't really, even though the stats are a little bit worse than Swayman's like those, those are things that you, you can't see there. Yeah. As, as just trying to quickly look something up, but I, I agree that I'm not changing anything right now. Like it, the rotation continues to work. And, you know, if, there, if there's a stretch here and there where someone's a little dinged up and you ride one of them for two, three, four straight starts, like, that's fine. Um, I don't need it to be, you know, a strict rotation every month between now and April. But that they're both playing, you know, Allmark is still clearly, like, top 10 to 12 in the league, even if he's slightly behind Swayman. So, no, no real reason in my mind to get away from, from splitting time. It, it works for both of them. I think it helps both of them. Um, but yeah, and Swayman certainly is having a better season. No question about it. And I don't know if he's going to, you know, he's probably in the Vezina conversation. Um, minutes wise, he's going to be like so far behind your Thatcher Demko or Carnahella bug that I, the only way you win it really splitting starts is if you do what Allmark did last year, which is, you know, go what at like 41 and four or whatever, and lead the league and save percentage and goals against average. So I don't think Swayman's going to do that. So we probably isn't winning the Vezina, but he's in that conversation right now for sure. Yeah. I know they spent Christmas together. <laughs> they did. <laughs> yeah. Them. Swayman was Santa Claus. Yeah. Yes, he was. Um, and it, it's funny because I, I got into this argument with with I think it was Jones last year. Like they can't really be friends, right? Like they're not actually friends. Like, no, they're they're legitimately like family. Uh they can spend holidays yeah. together and, and whatnot. But oh yeah, no, their relationship is very, very unique and very uh very authentic for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, we gotta get going here. Um it seems like the Bruins have played the Blue Jackets a lot the last the last month. They got them again tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Um, so we'll look forward to watching that. And Bridget and Scott, if there's anything else before we sign off here? Nope. I'm good. Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy- oh, and the PWHL started today. So I was watching that before we hopped on here. And Br- reminder that Bridget's got the call for the first Boston game. Yes. Yes, I do on Nesson. So tune in. All right. Well, everybody, keep um, keep popping that Advil and that liquid IV <laughs> and enjoy your, your 2024. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you very soon.